back to episode three of Not So Famous. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you so much to all of you who make this podcast possible by lending us your time and your ears. We're truly thankful to have you all join us every two weeks here on the show. And I want to encourage you all to jump around throughout our different segments. This is a long show, but it's not necessarily made to be listened to all at once. So feel free to check out the episode description to find the starting point for all our different segments so you can listen to what you want and skip the rest. We got to so, get into Stanley. Yeah. I, I feel like this is such a giant in in the world of of nerdiness, right? I mean, that, even not in the world of nerdiness, pop culture. Oh yeah, I mean he but, has. I mean he has changed the game completely um, for everyone, whether it's through film or just uh, or comic books, TV, just everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lost. Uh, it, you know, I, I was telling I was telling a couple of my um, subscribers on YouTube. I was talking to them the day Stanley died. And uh-huh. I was like, you know, it's like, um, it's, it's like a, a, a grandparent passing away. Right. It's like, you, you know, that it's going to happen eventually. Um, mm-hmm. and, and with Stanley, I mean, all year we heard, uh, reports about his failing health, you right. know, he's Him constantly falling down. Alive. Yeah. Um, and the man was 95 years old. Um, he know, lived he a good was, life, right? <laughs> I mean, he he certainly made it. You know, it. Yeah, and it's, you know, just because he did make it and, and live so long, it doesn't make his passing less difficult. But mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. what you mean. I mean, we we definitely had an inkling of it coming. Yeah, but it's and and, and you're right. Like it just it doesn't make it easy. You you're never going to prepare yourself to you know you know in, in Captain Marvel. They're probably going to dedicate it to Stanley. Oh, absolutely! Um, you know, probably in matter of fact, probably Infinity. Well, whatever the Avengers Four is going to end up being called, <laughs> probably right. They're probably going to. Um, they're probably going to do the same thing in that, and I just feel like that is it's appropriate. It is, and I heard. I mean, I already saw an article. I think your gut is right on that. Those movies he had already started filming his cameos that he mm. is so famous for. Um, so, I mean, those are set to be his last. Um, Marvel Studios hasn't, you know, released anything that they're going to do anything crazy and try to, you know, green screen him in or CGI his, you know, likeness into anything. Which I, I am glad. I just think it would be disrespectful. Um, yeah, to yeah. his memory and to his extravagance, you know. I mean, he was such a a hero in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from any minute to like of you know him screaming like Excelsior to just <laughs> that that signature voice quality that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to those pictures of posing with fans. I just think that he was so individual and unique and yeah. having like someone portray his likeness or CGIing him in, it just wouldn't do him justice. It wouldn't be the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's better to just, you know, let's let's see his final two cameos and personally I I said if you if you really want to to continue to honor him and have him keep showing up um in the Netflix series they have a um he's like a he's the poster boy for the uh the New York Police Department. Oh. Yeah, and I just and they have it like every and it's it's a very small picture every single time like you have to like search for it um and it's usually like whenever they go to any sort of police station it's usually there yeah Um, i haven't even seen any of those oh yeah yeah you you gotta really pay attention for it um but when you if you did something like that and you just had it constantly within the mcu yeah um i think that would just be that would just be so awesome um, to just continue to see him like he's he's still there like he's still within the MCU he's immortalized um, and he's he's the poster child of the NYPD I love that I mean and yeah. all of his cameos were so specific and they had such a um, lovely you know kind of just perfect way of fitting in like Everyone mm-hmm. would always, I remember when it, when he first started doing the cameos, we were trying to like predict them, you know, cause I was like a teenager, like even a kid. And mm-hmm. I was like, I wonder where Stan Lee's going to pop up and we could never guess. And then when he did, we'd be like, oh, that makes sense. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's exactly what it needs to be. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, and I just want to give a quick shout out to like. His achievements, everybody knows that he was, you know, kind of the head of Marvel or he was the poster child for for Marvel Studios um, and Marvel Comics. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the man created the Fantastic Four. Yeah. He created Spider-Man with Steve Ditko. You know, he shaped a generation of heroes mm-hmm. that were unapologetic and were very personal Um, Mm -hmm. I think that that is just a testament to his will and his expertise as a writer to make a character as human as Peter Parker or Mm -hmm. as tormented as the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to really get somebody's personal struggle um, Mm -hmm. into the world of comic books that they're not perfect. They're not amazing heroes all the time. They're also Mm -hmm. people. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think it's, you know, and Mitchell, you know, we talk about on this show of, you know, the whole reason why we made this show was to not only be a variety show, but to also, you know, kind of encourage young artists and let them know, like, hey, um, you know, there's other people that are like you, um, which we're going to talk about right. later on in the show. Um, yes, but with our special th- guest. I think it's really important that people, you know, look at Stanley, especially if you're an artist. Um, it doesn't matter what type of artist you are, whether you're in music, um, you're a painter, you're an actor, you're a YouTuber, or whatever. Um, mm. Kind of look at him as like it's an, he's an inspiration. You know, this is this is somebody who who did make it, um, who did not let life kind of deter them. Um, yes. 
you know, like he he had the talent. But, you know, what we all we all have the talent to make something of ourselves and to make something great. And it just so happens that he used his talent to create this multiverse um, that is now really immortalized uh, through film mm-hmm. and TV shows. Um, I so, mean, I mean, and he was the one that pushed for that, too. In, uh, like, 1980, when uh, he became kind of the editor-in-chief and chief writer of Marvel Comics and chief editor, Mm -hmm. um, he was like, we need to expand Marvel Studios into, uh, like, live action. We need to make movies. We need to get TV shows. We need to develop these Marvel properties. And that's why he's so well-known as the head of Marvel, because he really did, you know, take a look at, wait, people aren't reading comic books as much. Mm -hmm. How do we grab them back how do we pull them back in yeah um, and it is you're you're right i mean that is why we made this show to talk about inspiring people and with inspiring people that you may not know and and just because stanley's a, a household name doesn't mean he's any less of you know he his origins are are not any less worthy of the not so famous title mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know if there is a not so famous title but i want to give our first <laughs> one to stanley yeah I, because he really did, I mean, you know, he was a first-generation immigrant, um, born in Manhattan, rose up through literally, you know, putting his feet to pavement and not compromising on his dream, not compromising on the characters that he loved and uh, had committed himself to and had these yeah. ideas for. And he shaped a generation. I mean, he has impacted pop culture so much. Everybody has a Marvel shirt Everybody knows who he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He will be definitely, definitely missed. Yeah. Almost definitely. Mm. So, Mitchell, I got to know, brother. I know that we've had some sadness with, with Stan Lee, but I've got to know what's the word, what's going on with you in your life. What do you, what do you listen to? What do you read and what do you watch? And man, what is it? Oof. Well, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, let's let's get on to well, I have been reading um a bunch lately. I mean, I know anyone who knows me knows that I read like a maniac. Um <laughs> it's it's true. I get obsessive about it and I don't know why mm-hmm. and I don't know how to control it, but I also don't know that I really want to. Um I <laughs> it, it's become like a late night habit, right? Like I'll start a book at like uh-huh. 8, 8 p.m. And I'm like, I'll just like get a cup of tea and wind down and start relaxing. <laughs> and then I'm finishing the 400-page book and it's like 3 a.m. Right. And I'm like, where's the next one? <laughs> like on Kindle, you know, because I read all my books on Kindle. Um, and it's so easy to get the next one. And so I, I really want to talk about this next novel um, that just came out by one of my favorite authors, um, her name is N.K. Jemison, and mm-hmm. she's the author of the Broken Earth trilogy, and yep. uh, she just released her uh, the final book in the trilogy. It's called The Stone Sky, hmm. um, and I started it a few nights ago in what I just described. I finished the second book, and I found out that the third book was out, and I immediately downloaded it and then realized that it was literally like three in the morning and was like, okay, mm. go to bed, go to bed, go to bed. <laughs> Um, but she actually just became, I googled her name in, in prep for the show, and she just became the first author ever to win the Hugo Award for Best Novel three years in a row, um, which I, I think is just an incredible achievement. 
as a person, um, mm-hmm. but also she is a woman of color in the fantasy genre series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is another just amazing, like, oh my God, in, in a genre, you know, completely dominated by white men. Yeah. It's yeah. so refreshing to see this woman really, like, not only excel, but kick ass. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. she, not only did she win it three years in a row with, like, three different books, but she won it with each book in this series. Right. Back to back to back. 2016, first book. 2017, second. 2018, Mm -hmm. third. Which, if that doesn't convince you to go pick up these books, I don't know what will. Yeah, yeah. Um they're really interesting. Uh, I was going to read a brief description, but I, I think I've said enough, honestly. And I want you to go <laughs> Google listeners this this amazing uh, author and mm. and get into the Broken Earth trilogy. That's that's mm-hmm. what's really been dominating my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I also I wanted to mention. Um, speaking of you know phenomenal um, black women. Mm-hmm. Michelle Obama released Becoming today. Oh, love her. She's everything, right? Love her so much. Um, she have you heard any of this? She is like going on like an arena style tour. Um, which oh I oh my gosh, I know. Which I was like, oh my god, Michelle Obama. She's a rock star now. Like for yeah. her book. <laughs> um, but she's you know all these uh, these floor seat tickets. I was googling prices and. Mm-hmm. They're expensive. Like, like I'm talking like three G's. Mm, expensive. Mm. Like to to be up close with Michelle. Yeah. Um. And I was kind of like, ooh, damn. You know, is it really about the money there? And then I found out that all of the proceeds, all of the net proceeds, are being donated to her charity, Global Girls Alliance. Um, oh my gosh. So yeah, I know, right? It's like she's just. Could she get more perfect? <laughs> um, it, yeah. If you don't know about Global Girls Alliance, it's um, listeners, it's dedicated to helping adolescent girls all around the world get an education, no matter where they come from, what background, or what their mm. means are, which is just incredible, truly. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm so impressed. And she just got endorsed by uh, Oprah today. She had like a, an interview, and Oprah was like, it's my you know book of the month for book club. Um, yeah. And of course, her hubby, former president Barack, um, gave her a very nice review. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm interested to read it. I mean, I, I I've definitely added it to the list. Um, yeah, it includes apparently there are some you know criticism criticisms of um, President Trump, but mm-hmm. um, she mostly you know kind of maintains this personal focus. Um, she talks about her upbringing in Chicago and intimate mm. scenes, apparently, from her marriage. Um, so I'm I'm interested to dive in and I'm interested to, you know, find out more about her as a person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's, I mean, you know, when you when you think about the Obama presidency, you, you mainly think about Barack. Um, but I, I was, you know, during Barack's two terms... I um I found myself always kind of fascinated um by Michelle just because she was always there and she always seemed to be very active. Um yeah, I mean she was to, always to doing me, stuff. Yeah, to me she was never, you know, she never just kind of sat around and 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 audience, I'm not I'm not 
you know, critiquing Melania and any stretch of imagination. I'm focusing on Michelle. Don't I mean, before you start tweeting at me. Marcus, <laughs> you may not, but I am subtweeting Melania for firing that aide and saying that he was unworthy to work in the office. Whatever. Anyway. I... I I hey, I agree I agree but <laughs> but Michelle you know she just she had this um just just air about her she carried herself with such dignity no matter what people said about her all the mean and ugly things I mean we want to talk about you know Melania is the most bullied person in the world um I guess we forgot about the last eight years with Michelle Um, started you know just all the the mean and hateful things that people said um and and not and not to say that you know similar things aren't being said to Melania but especially with Michelle I was kind of astounded by some of the things I heard um and it was just really, really uncalled for. Um, you know, I'm all for the president's family is off limits. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like you you cross the line and you can't really complain about Melania when, you know, for eight years people were doing that to Michelle. Well, that, and, and people th- always do it, right? I mean, we do it with, especially, you know, such a prolific leader like the president of the United States. It's, yeah. it's natural that we, you know, we, we, do crazy shit and and say you know oh he's the antichrist he's this <laughs> he's that we do the same with their families because it's mm-hmm. projection right when we don't like something or we don't agree with something people you know fear what they don't understand so yeah. they they you know regress into um bullying and and mean-spirited comments um but i think what was inspiring about michelle specifically was that mm. she she rose above it Yes, you know, she, I mean, she, there were a couple of times that I remember her saying specifically, like, I'm not going to pay those, you know, comments any mind because they don't really mean anything because I'm still the Mm -hmm. first lady. You can't take anything away from me. (laughs) And she also, she wasn't, it wasn't about the, the, the spotlight, her doing the work that she did. You know, mm-hmm. f- feeding America, um, doing that major overhaul of um, lunches in school systems across the nation. She didn't mm-hmm. seek praise for that. It wasn't a, you know, dig or a, a maneuver to try and get something or to, to put focus on Barack in a new way. It was just because that was the mission that she was on. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm just so impressed with her. I'm so yeah. excited to read her book, Marcus. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be great, and I'm I'm sure you're gonna tell us all about it um, once you do read it. Um, until three a.m. Until three a.m. Of course, right, right. Of course, <laughs> the only real way to read a book, right? <laughs> I'm not. I don't actually mean that. Before you tweet at me, you can read a book however you want. Jeez. <laughs> Um, Marcus, what have you been listening to? What have you been reading? What have you been, you know, consuming? What's the word with you, man? I, man, I've been really digging in deep into my music lately. Um, I get into these kicks where, like, I'll just be, like, just, you know, put on my headphones or I'll turn on my, my Echo and I just start listening to, you know, Every song I could think of. Um, and sometimes, like, I'll stick to, like, one particular drama, I mean, genre, excuse me, um, such as, like, 90s hip-hop. Um, I was, like, at a huge kick with that for, like, 
two months at the beginning of the summertime. Um, and now I am on some rock and some metal stuff, man. Ooh. Dude, I, um, I, I, I got back into it, um, a couple of, maybe like at the beginning of the school year with, um, Evanescence. And I know that makes me sound like, uh, 2006 2006 <laughs> uh emo kid that's um, okay though like get a, a gentle easy start hey, you know something something listenable that will... hey hey you know what uh, back in the day back in 06 okay Marcus Sally growing up in uh Fredericksburg Virginia heading over heading Stafford High School you know what we listened <laughs> to we listened to a little Evanescence all right that got us through that got us through some hard times um <laughs> oh, you know right. and then Right, and then Daredevil, the 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 bad the bad movie, um, with uh, <laughs> Ben Batflack, uh, that uh, that and movie kind of ruined. And Jennifer Gardner, they kind of ruined Evanescence a little bit. Um, but I was always still like a big fan, and um, I think that was the first time that I realized that the thing that I love about rock and metal is um, I love a good rocker chick. Um, if you are, Ooh, if, I'm about if, it. Man, if you are a rocker chick and you're listening to this show, like you have my heart because just for some <laughs> for some reason, I there's just nothing more badass to me than a chick who will get up there. She's got the microphone. She's got her crazy hair. You know, she's got the eyeshadow for days, and she is just singing her heart out, or she's just screaming. Um, and it just, I just, I love it so much. Um, and I've been listening to this band called New Year's Day. And they're not new. Um, they're new to me. Uh, but I discovered them on, uh, did you ever hear of Pop Go, uh, Punk Goes Pop? No. So it's this, it's an album that, like, it's been going on for years. Like, I found out about it when I was in high school. Okay. But essentially it's, you got, like, these punk bands um, who play like like pop songs so like you can have uh-huh. you know i forgot who it was it was some i think it was like um nine inch nails or something okay and they did bye 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 <laughs> yeah like but it was like really good it was like what like, but it was like nine inch nails like yeah it was like nine inch nails so like they put their i mean of course they would put their spin on it um like i think lincoln park did one at some point Ooh, when they were at their when they're at the height of their powers um and <laughs> when the like, full moon was cast upon <laughs> lincoln park and they were in the height of their satanry right um <laughs> And like, uh, and like, so New Year's Day, and like, I guess they just kept it going. And New Year's Day, they did uh, "Gangsta" from uh, uh, by Kehlani, ooh, dang. which was from the uh, uh, Suicide Squad soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and audience, if you don't if you don't know the song, first off, look it up, especially the New Year's Day cover. Um, and then like, it's the it's the song that they play when Harley Quinn like becomes. When Harley Harley Quinzel becomes Harley Quinn, um, when she's talking with Joker, and um, I always like that. To me, that's the strongest song on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for for New Year's Day to do it, and also to have like they do a music video where the um, the main character, the main uh, main character, the main the lead singer Ash, um, she's Harley Quinn, and then like 
her bandmates are like Two Face and Riddler, and um, I think the other one is Joker. Um, but they're like, man, like the costumes that they that they wear and just like their portrayal of these characters. I'm like, that should have been what you had in Suicide Squad. This is awesome. <laughs> like uh, this, this is what we should have had from the beginning. Like, put, cast all of these, all these people. I don't know if they can act, but I don't even care. Just let them be there and just be terrifying. Yeah, listeners, I know you can't see me, but my jaw is literally on the floor. I'm like grabbing my head, trying not to <laughs> scream um, because that sounds so cool. That's Dude. awesome. I'm so hyped to check it out. Oh yeah. Um, and so like they just. Uh, so I've been listening to a lot of them. Um, they just put out a new... They just released a new song called Skeletons, um, which is fantastic. So if you are in... If you've never, like, been into um, rock bands or, like, even just, like, rocker chicks in general, um, if you did not grow up on Avril Lavigne... Um, who I, are you, I, even? Who, yeah, who are you, first of all? Um, <laughs> I'd like uh, to know who you are, specifically. <laughs> Um, but you, you definitely need to check out, uh, out New Year's Day. And, um, matter of fact, uh, hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you the link, Mitchell, cause there's a, uh, there's actually a playlist that I'm excited to listen to called Heavy Queens, um, mm. on Spotify and it's just rocker chicks. You're playing um, with my emotions, Marcus. I know. I know. Right. I hit you with the rocker chicks and I talked about New Year's, New Year's Day. And then I'm talking about Suicide, better version of Suicide Squad. And now I'm giving you more rocker chicks. Like, come on now. You've got me um, in the palm of your hand and all I gave you was books. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I'm like this. I wish I knew why. Oh, it's it's quite all right. It's quite all right. You, talk, you, you, hy- you hyped up my girl Michelle, so, you know. <laughs> I, I'm really excited. She's not a rocker chick, but she's still perfect. Hey, she's, she's a rock star in her own right. Um, but speaking of rock stars, um, we got to talk about, this is an oldie. I'm bringing up old stuff, but can I just say, just like honorable mention, uh, I started listening to Linkin Park, uh, the Jay-Z mashup. Um, collision course again. That's what it's called. Uh, uh huh. And I just, I, you know, Mitchell, I, I have to say this right now, and it's going to be a very unpopular opinion. We might lose listeners over this, but I'm going to say it anyway. No, but it needs to be said. Go ahead. Jay Z is garbage now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it sounded like you threw it up. You were like, Jeez, Jay Z is garbage. <laughs> uh, he is. Which he, which I know, like, you know, uh, Karen Mays. Hey, Karen, um, who is probably who's listening to this show right now, and she's like, "I what? I don't understand what just happened." Um, Jay Z, <laughs> everyone is uh, he was he was one of the greatest rappers um, in the game, and he just he had this he had this great album that came out along that came out around actually two thousand six. The called black the black album. album. We be blacking out. It was awesome. Oh my goodness! It it had it had you know classic hits like Encore, um, Dirt Off Your Shoulders, mm. um, Ninety Nine Problems, um, with that that you know sick guitar riff that like a and I'm like, why would you not stop there, right? Like, <laughs> literally, no one's watching the throne because Jay Z is dead. <laughs> right that's why no one's watching the throne jay that's um, why I, I, I got 99 problems and jay-z your current raps are most of them 
oh my gosh, like I like I'm, I'm listening to like I'm sitting there and I'm like I'm rapping along um, with the lyrics and uh, uh, Izzo and in the end, um, mm-hmm. which was a perfect combination. I don't know who thought of that, um, whether it was but Chester, yeah, um, <laughs> R.I.P. Um, or Jay Z, but whoever thought of that, that was a stroke of genius because it just mashes so well together, mm-hmm. um, and it just made me sad because then I think about like all the stuff that Jay Z has done after the Black album, uh-huh. and it's I'm just like I'm I'm just so disappointed, and I wish that you had just stopped. Well, and there's some <laughs> really you know there's some great songs that that pop. Um... On, on albums that he's had since then or collaborations True. certainly yeah. you know there's there's bits where i'm like i'm listening to something you know because I, I definitely love my 90s hip-hop too mm-hmm. i have you know whole like radios and playlists of just like common and most deaf and mm-hmm. jay and you know all those all those amazing rappers um but you know sometimes i'll hear a song and i'll be like wait is that is that young jay-z Right. <laughs> and I like hold up my Shazam to like my own stereo and I'm like, yeah. oh my god, yeah, it is. Like it is. It's him. Mm-hmm. And I don't even recognize it because what he is now and what he was then are so different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and some of that is, you know, for the better maybe politically and and with his marriage to Beyoncé, but there was something really really special about the Black Album that I mm-hmm. I haven't seen the same consistency from him since. Yeah. Even, you know, there was there was some little, you know, hopes of genius in that um collaboration album he did with Justin Timberlake. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And like I went and saw them on tour. My mm-hmm. shout out to my sister Alyssa, um, who like took me for one of my birthdays. Mm-hmm. Um I was like, I'm so hyped to see them and <laughs> you know, it was an incredible performance and some of those songs are are really beautiful, but again, just like not not the consistency. Yeah, yeah. You know when you know when I think about when I actually when I think about Watch the Throne, you know, you brought up earlier, mm-hmm. Kanye steals that album. He does. You can tell like he is definitely the stronger lyricist, um, which you know in some in certain circles and and I kind of agree with it compared to some other artists Kanye's not like the strongest lyricist um he's definitely a much 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 stronger producer um but in in Wash a Throne it's Kanye's verses that sell that album I skip every single Jay-Z Jay-Z led song on that album um unless it's like 50-50 yay or like you know, the majority is Kanye. Yeah, um, you know, which is which is sad because again, I'm listening to the the I'm listening to, listening to Collision Course, and I'm just like, man, Jay Z was he was fire. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Seriously, yeah. yeah. And you know, I think that there's it's all kind of when it jumbles together in like a playlist or something. I think that mm. at least for me, I can forget like the times that they all came out during. Yeah. Because there are some, like, killer, I'm like, oh, wait, this happened in 2011. He was also recording Kanye's album then. Mm-hmm. He's on that verse. That's a really killer verse. He, you know, kind of mentions it in Watch the Throne. There's, like, little connections that you can make. But yeah. it, your lyrics shouldn't depend upon me getting little connections from, like, mm-hmm. six different albums spaced right. out over 15 years. Um, exactly. Which is a damn shame, but Collision Course is 
freaking fantastic. And the Black mm. Album is required listening for any yeah. uh, rap connoisseur, mm. as it were. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know what? Before we before we leave this topic, you know, you should also listen to. I don't know if you have already. You might have. What's up? Uh, MTV Unplugged, Jay Z with the Roots. No, it is amazing. It's a live. It's a live set. The Roots play. The Roots are playing the the songs. Um, Jay Z is rapping. It is amazing there's he does big pimpin oh on it God. and it's like and it's like you know if you're if you're from the dc area dc is known for go-go um and there's like a go-go like style beat to it um that the roots do that jay-z kind of raps over and like he's giving commentary um like in between sets and everything it's like it's 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 a, like a 30 minute concert that he did that was part of like a a special that I think MTV has brought back um but it is um it's great yeah if you haven't listened to it check it out it's MTV unplugged Jay-Z and the Roots I just pulled out my phone and wrote it down listeners you should do the same <laughs> um we all need good music in our lives oh yeah and that is Most a definitely on good music um mm-hmm. <laughs> what about what about video games? Have you heard? I know that there hasn't been. I mean, first of all, I I know you got Red Dead. We have to talk about uh-huh. that since we mentioned it last episode. Um, mm-hmm. I want to hear what you're enjoying, and I also want to hit on. I mean, as of us recording, Fallout seventy six dropped today, mm-hmm. and you were talking to me about WWE too. So we've we've actually got some some good stuff to talk about. Do you want to talk? Oh, do you yeah. want to start off with uh, with Red Dead, the Wild Wild West? I, I do, man. I I actually, and I'm gonna like kind of also talk just a smidgen before we get to WWE. I I recently bought WWE because I buy I buy the 2K game every year. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same thing except they changed up the roster basically. Um, okay. But I, yeah, but um, but I I bought it and I had every intention of playing it this weekend. You know, creating my universe, putting like all my characters from 2K18 into 2K19. Uh-huh. Um, but I started playing Red Dead Redemption Two, and I got hooked again, second week in a row. And and Mitchell, let me tell you something. I've been playing this game for two weekends now. Mm-hmm. I'm only on chapter two. What? Like, it's that big of a game. It's so, like, there's so much. Like, I thought Spider-Man was going to be game of the year that it had, like, so much stuff in it, so much content. You know, you you would never get bored with it. Um, Not that I got bored with Spider-Man, but um, I definitely was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to wait for the next DLC to come out, and I'm going to put this aside. I'm going to play a new game. Uh That new game was Red Dead Redemption 2 and have not regretted it since. Mm. Um, you, You definitely can see your horse shit. Um, in, in <laughs> as game. mentioned last episode, but it's but Mitchell, like we we really undersold just how immersive this game is. You have to like you have to eat in order to like keep up your strength, and if you don't eat, then you get too thin, and then when you get like shot, you get like hurt. Like you you'll die quicker. 
Oh my god. If you eat too much, you get too fat, which means that if you're trying to outrun somebody, like you're, you're going to get yeah, you're going to get tired. Oof. Um your horse, your horse will you have to like build a bond with your horse because if you don't, then your horse might leave you. Um or in the case of my horse the other day, um this I was going on a mission. Uh-huh. And this guy is like, hey, hey, like, come, come help me. Like, there's just random NPCs on the road, right, that'll just, like, ask you to stop for them. And he's like, hey, mister, can you please help me out and, you know, take me to the town? And I was doing a mission where I was like, I feel like I don't really want to do this side quest right now. Like, I just want to uh-huh. do my mission. And the guy straight up pulls me off my damn horse. What the hell? Yeah. And like runs and like, like, and like, just like books it. Well, of course, I take out my guns because I'm like, okay, like, you just killed my horse. Like, now <laughs> You're I'm not kill you. away with it. Yeah. Well, my horse and I have such a strong bond. My horse slows down and starts to buck him off. Dude, giving me an opportunity to shoot him off my horse. That's awesome. Oh, and yeah. just for I mean just for listener's sake, NPC, this, you know, guy that you're saying stole your uh horse is a non-playable character. It's just yes. like a computer gen- generated character that that is offering something or exists in the world. Mhm. And 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 audience and too to put it in perspective, like what I just described is not a typical NPC move. No. The amount of programming that had to go into, if you take too long to answer the NPC, that the NPC is like, okay, I'm going to take you off your horse now. That takes a lot of thought to put into a game. And it takes a long time to program that. And that's like, I just met one NPC that was like that. That's not counting, like, the other ten that I encountered on my way to that one mission. Which, by the way, takes, like, two days in-game. Jeez. You know, to get to. Well, and it's also just interesting to hear you describe this, like, immersive quality. Because I think, um, you know, we're talking, we're mentioning games like Spider-Man and, uh, like, Fallout. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've mentioned Odyssey a couple of times. There, There are... There's a lot of different ways to be immersive and to create a a sense of um, like lived in quality of a world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But it seems like Red Dead is instead of creating more complex systems that require um, like a lot of time to master. Red Mm -hmm. Dead has introduced these really small subsystems of you don't get the luxury that you normally get in a video game to like. You know, put your controller down when somebody asks you a question because then the dialogue options pop up and you have as much time as you want to reply. And you can, like, Google the answer of, like, what's the best reply Mm. that I should say (laughs) to get my desired outcome or whatever. You have to feed yourself. You have to remember to feed yourself. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's just another level. And you were saying before we started recording that you played poker in game. Dude. What was that like? So I, I I came to, like, this little uh, – because at the beginning of the game, well, in Chapter 2, I guess I should say, you have to find, like, your gang. Like, there's key members that have, like, scattered around the countryside in hopes okay. of, like, getting money and whatnot. Um, 
because you're saving money so that you can get like a better homestead essentially. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm in, um, I'm, I'm, I'm at, I'm getting like the reverend who is drunk as a skunk and he like stumbles out of this train station. And then these guys are like, well, he has to, he has to pay up. And like, they're getting ready to like take out their guns. And I'm like, Hey, I'll just, you know, play for him, I guess. So I, after, so you, you sit down and they kind of walk you through like poker in the game. But then uh-huh. what I started to realize was that, no, this isn't poker in the game. This is like actual poker. Like all the rules are the same, you know? Oh. Like like a like you know you can have pairs you can have a flush um and the game helps you out a little bit like you know for those of you who aren't big poker players like you can press you can like look at your cards and then the computer will tell you like you have a flush um or you have two pairs um or you have nothing <laughs> but right, you like can you bluff card. yeah but you can bluff the NPCs like they're playing with you as a matter of fact. While we were playing, because we played for, like, I'm going to say something along the lines of, like, six hours in game. Like, when I started, it was the morning. When we ended, it was nighttime. Um, Oh, my (laughs) God. People would come in to the barn and play with us. Yeah. Wow. Like, rotating players as you. Mm Mm-hmm. This is incredible, Marcus. Right? And, like, you can play that. You can play dominoes. Apparently, I haven't gotten there yet. It's probably in Chapter 3, which I haven't gotten <laughs> to. Um, but apparently, like, there's blackjack in the game as well. Wow. You can hunt. And when you hunt, like, you have to, like, you know, use the proper gun. Otherwise, you're going to tear up your meat. And then you can't sell the pelt. And that means you can't get a new upgrade. Like right. You have, to clean, you have to clean your gun because your gun's going to get dirty. Or you, like, like seriously... If you kill somebody, you're going to be covered or you like you kill an animal and you put it over your shoulder. Guess what? You have blood on you. You have to go to the hotel and take a bath. That is just (laughs) I mean, and for those listeners, again, I want to like just, you know, clue in the people that don't play video games. That's not usual. You know, you're (laughs) going to see, you know, some blood spatter on the the ground if you kill an animal or if you're hunting or there might be like an animation or an effect. Um, you might like hear a sound effect or something like that, but it, it would never be so far as, at least in, in most games that I've played, it would never be so far as to like, you you now are dirty and you have to go take a bath. Like, mm-hmm. hell, that... you have you have to shave, Mitchell. Like you you can go you can be you can shave off all the hair on your face. A week later, You've you got... have a full you will have a full beard again. Oof. It's amazing. I was like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sitting there like, like, oh, I kind of want the full beard back. And it's like, no, you have to let it grow back naturally. I was like, what do you mean I have to let it? This is a game. <laughs> I should be this able my to actual choose, face. damn it. <laughs> right. If I want to have purple hair. <laughs> that's not the I'm, way it works. <laughs> that's not That's not the way it was in the Old West. <laughs> wow. Well, I am so excited, and I'm probably going to pick this up uh, over Thanksgiving Yeah. Um, to play. I, I We will definitely have to have another conversation about it. Um, this sounds so exciting. I mean, just realism to a whole nother level, and I will not be surprised when it wins, you know, Game of the Year, hands down. For... I, really, I really think it's going to, man. I really do. I thought Spider-Man was going to take it, 
Um, mm. But it it might actually be Red Dead. Yeah. I, I think it probably will. I mean, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of good games, you know, that have been coming out that we've been talking about. This is definitely, I think, the best season in gaming right now. Oh, um, yeah. There's just so many incredible games. But mm-hmm. it seems to be the consensus that Red Dead is 10 out of 10. So, I mean, that's great. Um, mm-hmm. Fallout 76, I just want to touch on. It dropped today. Yeah. I I love the Fallout games. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have been such inspirational and like, you know, I have such a nostalgia for, um, like fallout being a post-apocalyptic, like nuclear world while I can listen to like forties jazz music coming <laughs> right. from my screen. Um, like that's such an interesting <laughs> way to, to play a video game and such an interesting concept for one. Um, mm-hmm. this is the first one that has incorporated multiplayer into, um, it's gaming, you know, kind of algorithm. Um, it exists in a world where you can, it's not just NPCs. Um, you can interact with other players. You can mm. team up with players to go hunt uh, like a big beast or, or animal or go on a particularly, you know, challenging quest. Or you can turn and say, hey, screw you, I'm going to fight you. And mm. you have to fire on them and then they fire on you back. And then the next blows cause damage right so you know those first ones like if you accident you're like oh shit i misfired i'm sorry please don't kill me um it's okay you don't you don't have to get tangled up in that so it mm-hmm. is optional but um i was reading these reviews of it and people were saying first of all there was a couple of articles that said like it's been out for less than a day so don't trust the reviews mm-hmm. um, right but, right I mean, so, yeah, I mean, how how much can you trust a review that comes out same day? It's it's a game that boasts over 200 hours of content. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how someone... Someone can't. I mean, you can play 24 hours of it, I guess, and release your review. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, people were saying that, you know, it wasn't the same kind of game that the Fallouts usually are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense to me. They were saying it works as a solo game, um, and you can play by yourself, but it's not nearly as pleasurable and enjoyable as playing with others. Um, <laughs> wink, wink. Um, which I... <laughs> which, <laughs> yes, I got him. Um, which I do understand. Um, you know, it would probably hurt some people that are like, man, I just want to go on my solo adventure, but that's what this game is being you know it's boasting something new and exciting and i am interested to get it to pop in and and jump into a world where i don't have you know all the luxuries of a normal game and i do have to worry about someone potentially being like hey i want to fight you over that Mm -hmm. um i mean it's a huge game it's that definitely seems to be where where games are going you said you know um red dead was big I think Fallout 76 does win for um, largeness and scale. It's like the entire state of West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like specifically maps out every single detail. Um, Yeah. Which, you know, kind of compared to we were talking earlier before we started uh, recording, like your WWE game, um, Mm -hmm. how different those are. And how much you oh, said yeah. it was like a guilty pleasure that you got this uh, 2K game. It really is, man. Like, they're not 
like to the casual fan this you know you would never get 2k19 it's like why like <laughs> you know but like to, to <laughs> right. me like you know i i, I mean i'm I'm waiting on bated breath for 10 o'clock on Friday so I can get my WrestleMania tickets. Um, <laughs> for me, it's so much fun to to play Universe. I love making like my uh, my wrestler persona and putting it in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is St. Marcus. He's from San Diego, California. I've given him like a whole backstory. He has been in the WWE for like the last couple of games. Mm, um, mm. And I literally, like last year, what I started doing was I I got like real, real in depth. It's like straight up, you know, like fantasy football for me. Um, I go into the game, into the previous game, get all my champions, figure out who's on the roster, who did I right. kick off, who's a face, who's a heel. For those of you who don't speak wrestling nerd, faces are good guys, heels are bad guys. Um <laughs> and I and I put and I put them all into the next game, and I just keep the story going, but with like better graphics and with like new characters that have been introduced. So now I can start new feuds. Right, um, right. I can make you can make whatever shows you want. You set the pay per views however you want to set them up to. Um, it's just a great game for like any sort of wrestling fan. Um, and I have like a running gag that used to be on the the late great Rasslecast. Um, Rip, the, yeah the <laughs> the the technically that was the second podcast that was a part of the network, and then that fell off, and then it was now it's not so famous. So I feel like I have to keep the spirit of Rasslecast alive just a little bit. Yeah, um, that's okay. Go ahead, go ahead. But we used to have like a running gag on the show where I would talk about like what I did in my universe. Mm. And Mitchell, doggone it, if it wouldn't be the same thing that would happen on, like, Monday Night Raw or, like, SmackDown, you know? Or, like, like, you would predict it? Yeah, like, or, like, I would, like, well, we would always say, like, Vince, um, the the man, Vince McMahon who runs WWE, we're like, Vince is bugging my my game because, like, literally, they stole my storyline. Like, I turned him heel (laughs) months ago in my game, and now you've turned him heel, and everybody thinks it's a great idea, and that's BS. I want my royalty check. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't have done this without me. Yeah, right, right, you know, um, and then, like, uh, and then they started putting in, like, uh, you know, you can now do promos in the game, mm. right, and so, like, okay. and so, like, now, you know, I'm, like, I'm, like, writing, I I used to, I don't think I told you this, I used to freelance ghostwrite wrestling promos, not for, like, actual wrestlers, it was, like, for a game, but, like, this guy would pay me, like, 30 bucks a promo, just to write like like how the wrestlers talk on the show, and I would like craft these promos in my game, and doggone it if they wouldn't do the exact same type of promo. And I'm like, you stole my idea again, Vince. You stole it. <laughs> like that's mine. Like I I want my checks, or at the very least, come on guys, let me let me write for WWE. I I'm I can save the company. Just let me do it. <laughs> listeners are probably like tallying up like some of them are like oh my god mark is plus 10 points like wrestling is all and other <laughs> listeners are like minus 10 points uh, i can't believe that right. Mitchell encourages that that but i love it personally <laughs> plus a thousand points um 
I think that's awesome, and I think that's so cool. Honestly, it, you know, we joke, but that's so cool to know that like other people are thinking the same thing or similar mm-hmm. things, um, and that they you get to see them in your small screen on your mm-hmm. little video game, and then on right. the big screen later. <laughs> um, that's I mean. Plus, you're probably one of the only people that does get to see their small screen ideas on the big screen because, you know, you're talented. You're you. Well, thank you. <laughs> of course. I wish I wish that would translate into, like, more money, but I will take the, satis- the personal satisfaction that, like, in some weird tele, you know, telepathic way, I am the reason why people still watch WWE. <laughs> yeah, I, think I you run can, the company. <laughs> I think you can take that pat on the back. I think you can okay. you can take that for yourself. Uh, <laughs> and we're gonna you're gonna take that for yourself. I'm, I'm gonna give you that pat on the back as we step into our next segment, um, yeah. a moment in the safe space. Um, putting a, like all of the we've been man, this show has been crazy. We've had a downs, we've had ups, we've had high highs and low lows. Um, mm-hmm. For this, I, I again, you know, this segment has always been to me, let's talk about the facts, let's talk about some of our personal opinions, and uh, try to keep, you know, the negativity that this can breed mm. uh, out of it, so that, just that we can be more informed humans um, going about our daily business, and, and, you know, hopefully, in some of the tragedy's sake, keeping in mind uh, our, our brothers and sisters near and far going through some real bad shit. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, so I want to start off with um, midterm elections. Mm. Um, you know, they happened last week as of our recording last Tuesday. Um, votes came in. It was kind of tough to call there for a second. I don't know, you know, listeners, if you're out there, um, <laughs> if you're out there, uh, <laughs> if you're like me, I was like refreshing my New York Times page. That mm. entire night as results came in. Um, and then we kind of finished the night and like Marcus, you know, I don't know what you thought, but it was kind of like I finished the night and I was like, all right, we gained seats in the House. Mm-hmm. We lost some in the Senate. And 2020 looks like it's going to be an interesting battle. Mm. Um, and then I kind of, you know, hadn't heard of it. I, I took my gains with my losses and was kind of like, okay, well, I did my best. I did my duty. Right. And uh, then I was, you know, researching some of it uh, this week, and I was reading an article yesterday that said, you know, there are still plenty of states that are, are you know, massive that are still counting votes and finalizing votes, um, or there were dissenting opinions or, or uh, voter suppression that was being investigated, so those votes didn't get counted right away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we have actually done better, uh, well, we, the Democrats... Um, right. If you don't know my opinion by now, um, <laughs> have gained upwards of 33 seats in the House and are on track to gain as many as 35 to 40 total, mm. um, which is just crazy mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a huge up, upset, upturn. Um, I mean, there's 427 seats in the House, so mm-hmm. um, to you know gain 40 is... A pretty you know sizable majority yeah um and so just for like the numbers people we are sitting with a majority of 229 seats right now and republicans um sitting with a minority of 198 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in the Senate, I thought that we had lost like three or four seats. Um, it turns out that votes were still being counted. Like I said, Arizona, um, we thought it was going to go to the Republicans. It actually went to uh, uh, Kirsten Sinema, uh, Democrat. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually on track to only lose one or two seats. Um, yeah. So Democrats holding 47 right now and Republicans holding 51 mm-hmm. with a total to be counted of 100. So hopefully, you know, Republicans will grab 52, will grab 48. It'll be, you know, a sizable adjustment, but I think not insurmountable for 2020. Yeah. Um, when the other seats are up for election and we get to, uh, you know... Vote for president once more. Yeah. I mean, I think that I feel like hopefully and I and I kind of got this sense when I went to um, when I went to go vote. um, Hopefully people finally realize just how important it is to make your voice heard. Mm. Um, And that, you know, as we move forward, we continue to keep both parties accountable. Um, You know, I. I would consider myself, I would consider myself a moderate with liberal tendencies. Um, if there okay. was, if there was a Republican that I felt could, could do a good job, you know, maybe I might consider it, but historically for myself, like I usually vote Democrat. Um, but right. I also, but I also know that like, Hey, voting Democrat also means like, Hey, I am not a fool. You know, Hey, you need, you need to do your job. Um, yes, keep people accountable. Yeah, and I think that that is, um, I think that's something that this country really, really, really needs nowadays is to make sure these politicians stay accountable um, because that is, I mean, I feel like that is, you know, regardless of, you know, if you really like Trump or you really hate Trump, I think at the end of the day, I think we can all agree on we need to keep him, we need to keep uh, his cabinet. We need to keep politicians that we elect. We need to keep politicians that we don't elect accountable. Um, because at the end of the day, we are the ones who have to, who are going to uh, feel the effects of it. Yes, absolutely. You know? Like they're not going to feel the effects of it. We, the everyday American, we're going to feel the effects of it. We need to make sure our voice is heard. And we just need to go forward and not be complacent. Let's not think to ourselves like, oh, we voted now. Now, okay, we can let them do their job. Nope. Don't do that. (laughs) Right. We need to stay honest with ourselves, too, and not release into, well, someone else is doing it for me. Right. Right. I mean, we need to stay informed on topics. So, you know, I mean, and that's why this segment is so important to me, because Mm -hmm. it propels me to do research that I might not have found out you know, a different way. Um, Just like, you know, I kind of want to throw it in there talking about midterms that there were a lot of things that were said before midterms to hype certain people up or to uh, galvanize, um, you know, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party a certain way to to get turnout. Um, Last week we talked about the migrant caravan. Have you heard anything in the past week since elections (laughs) about it? Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, I mean, like, again, it's that research. Everyone's like, the migrant caravan. And I'm like, no, did you read the article? They're 800 fucking miles away. Mm -hmm. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. It's just a fear tactic. And, you know, Republicans are guilty of that. Democrats are guilty of that. 
Um, th- there's certainly like the the publicizing and politicizing of certain events or certain tragic, uh, you know, things that happen. People want to spin an extra story or or get that extra heartbreak in, mm-hmm. and it's not about that. It's about staying afor- informed. Uh, excuse me, and keeping our politicians, like you said, Marcus, accountable. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And not- not everything has to be uh, politicized, hopefully. Um, I mean, the the fires in California is the other thing that I really want to touch on. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, I don't know how you wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> Seriously. I mean, but it's hard. Our, our world is we're very, you know, in our day-to-day and in our phones and in, you know, the world that we live in. We kind of create these small bubbles uh, externally and really large bubbles internally on social media and things like that. Right, right. Um, But there are three fires raging in California right now. Um, It's scorched over about, you know, total across the three fires, 250,000 acres of land right now. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly, according to officials, you know, tonight, as of recording this, it's about 40% contained. Um, there are a total of 50 confirmed deaths with about over 200 people, uh, stated missing. Jesus. Um, I know. And you know, you think those numbers are large. 9,000 firefighters have been mm-hmm. battling these wildfires, um, which you know are so far the deadliest and costliest in state history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just crazy to me. I mean, how many people have died? And truly, my heart goes out to California right now. I have friends. I've seen pictures on Facebook. You know, people mm-hmm. are saying I can see the ash from my house. Um, that that's scary. That's brutal. Um, yeah, and. I guess what I'm I'm disappointed in, you know, to kind of give it a throwback to two episodes ago, ago when we talked about uh, empathy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not getting a lot of empathy from politicians right now or from Mr. President. Um, yeah. I mean, he tweeted, you know, these the mismanagement of these fires is costing America so much money. And, uh, you know, if you guys don't get this under control... I'm going to try and pull federal funding. Right. What? Yeah. We yeah. need to help them. We need to contain it. We need to send more resources, not limit them. Mm-hmm. You think mm-hmm. you can stop a natural disaster while, you know, we battle climate change, the worst it's ever been? Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing populations. I mean, 50 people dead in a wildfire. Right. That's awful. I mean, to hear Mm. these accounts, I was reading uh, an article from the New York Times um, that was, you know, basically firefighters chatting between each other, like, who's the best at spotting cadavers? Mm -hmm. And I know that's gruesome, but I just want to mention it to say people are going through so much. And, you know, the men and women that are putting their lives on the line deserve our respect and mm-hmm. admiration and support, not our criticism. Yeah. Uh, I know I just kind of launched into that. I'm sorry. No, no. I I feel like it needed to be. It needed to be said. It's something that's on everybody's minds. Um, and it's just. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. It, now is not the time 
to you know make this some political stunt or to put the spotlight on you um, as the president. This is the time. This is the time to be presidential. This is the time for you to say, you know, hey, we are with you, and just leave it at that, or or say like, what aid do you need? We're going right, to right. provide it for you. We are going to take care of you. If if you are truly, if you are truly all about America is for Americans. Well, you've got some Americans right here in this country who need help. Seriously. Put your money where your mouth is and help out. Donate. Send, you know, you know, we want to talk about we're such a Christian nation. Like, pray. Do something. But don't just sit there and... You know, and and tag along with Trump and and make this something where you're like, uh, you know, like, like, no, he's right. Like, if if California hadn't done X, Y, and Z, who cares? Yeah, that's not the problem right now. Right. Like, who, like, you know, like, we want to always talk about, like, when a shooting happens, we always want to talk about, like, well, now is not the right time. You know what's not the right time to, you know what's not the right thing to do right now at this time? Is to make this some sort of political stunt to glorify yourself instead of uplifting your fellow man. Yeah, I mean, and and to think about, I I know I'm going to throw out some more numbers, but 9,000 structures have been destroyed Mm -hmm. across California, um, and 8,000 of them are homes. Hmm. How many people do you think have been displaced Exactly. I'm sure there's a number. I'm sure we can find it. But Jesus Christ, I mean, and that mm-hmm. is a prayer. I, I really, I am sick of that, that lack of empathy or care yeah. to these people that are displaced. I mean, talk about a, a, a migrant caravan. California, right. you know, displaced citizens are about to become a migrant caravan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing to help them? Yeah. Even if it is something small, a thought. Um, you know, five dollars donated, mm-hmm. checking on your friends in California, sending yeah. up a prayer. Do what you can, but do something. This is mm-hmm. not just like with you know shootings. Just like we talked about last episode, this is not the time to sit idly by and start criticizing or saying, "Well, if well, you know, maybe next time." It's not about next time. It's about now. Right. Exactly. You know, kind of, kind of going into our next topic. Um, I know, was it Kim? And help, help me clarify, Mitchell. Was mm-hmm. it Kim Kardashian that was being threatened by the fires? Because Kanye put out something. He put out a tweet that said Kim was okay. I actually haven't heard about it. I'm going to Google it now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was a tweet um, that happened um, that. That I guess they they live near the fires or they're like close by because um, I know a number of celebrities have been near the fire and I know Gerard Butler his house he went to his house and it was completely burnt down. Yeah, um, I'm I'm looking at the article now. It says Kim Kardashian, Gerard Butler, and other millionaires uh, impacted their their homes were destroyed apparently. Mm-hmm. So you know we 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 talk about. Um, you know, showing empathy and, and I mean, I don't think I've made it, 
unknown as far as my uh, opinions about Kim Kardashian and the Kardashian family, <laughs> the effects that they have had on my boy, yay. Um, but at the same time, like, you know what, at the end of the day, this is a person who just, you know, who has lost their home. They've lost their valuables. Do Does Kim Kardashian have more money than I do? Yeah, but I can tell you one thing. If I had like as much money as Kim Kardashian and I came home and I found out that my house was burned down still be quite upset. Um, it's just, it's the principle of the matter. Like it doesn't matter how much money you have. That just means that she can replace it. Um, but the fact that she has to replace it, that is, that's the kicker. Um, I think we can all, um, you know, we can, we can all kind of share in that, in that feeling. Um, you know, and it was interesting because, and, and this is why I bring it up to go on our next topic, um, Kanye's Corner, is because that was the one time that I had actually heard from Kanye um, since he came out and said that he um, had basically renounced Trump. Yeah, right. <laughs> Essentially. Um, now, whether or not he was, you know, 100%, uh, you know, a believer in that or not, but he has finally stepped out of the the realm of like let's talk about politics and let's do this and he is now back to doing um hopefully knock on wood he is back to doing what Kanye does so great and that is making music and just you know changing the craft um one album at a time um Although so, he did oh, just delay his, you know, he said he was going to delay Yandi again. Uh, it was supposed to come out November 23rd, and now it's delayed yes. again. He, you know, had that tweet that he was like, I'm still working on it. I performed with uh, Kid Cody last night, and I just realized that, like, my songs aren't ready. Which, mm-hmm. honestly, like, good. Do you. Like, get it, mm-hmm. get it to where you want it to be. And that's more yeah. of the Kanye that I know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, then perfectionist, wh- right? Yeah, and then what he's morphed into, um, yeah. you know, I think I've said this a couple times, but make make Kanye two thousand six again, honestly. <laughs> um, so you know, <laughs> I I'm I am excited to hear that he is focusing on himself, and they just tweeted that picture of him kissing his baby uh, today. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad, you know, honestly, take the family time. Um, you know, make sure that Kim is okay, check in, take stock, and move on. Um, mm-hmm. Which I'm also excited, excited that he stepped out of the, the spotlight so that we can talk, we can dedicate this uh, segment to kind of delving into some of his, his older music, his, mm-hmm. you know, his, his discography. Yeah. Um, and I know you mentioned you wanted to start out with uh, College Dropout, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, getting into... Kind of our personal experiences with the song, We Don't Care. Yes. Let's do it. Let's jump in. Dude, so We Don't Care um, is such a great way to start uh, a college dropout. To really kind of dig deep in who is this Who is this crazy cat with you know the pink polo and the backpack. Who is Kanye West? Um we don't care. I remember, Mitchell, I, I distinctly remember going to high school, uh-huh. home school, and listening to We Don't Care. You know, like, I'm in my mom's hoopty, 
right? That little donated, <laughs> you know, baby's first car that was your mom's or something that she gave you because that was all you had. Right. Because <laughs> she wasn't going to buy you a new car. And I'm in there, I'm cranking up, you know. Uh, you know, drug dealers just to get by, stack your money to tell it sky. Sky. Right? <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like, what? And, and I just remember learning like all the lyrics to it. And that was the first album that I had listened to from track one to the end. Um, and We Don't Care was a great way to start it off because, um, for myself, um, I I didn't think that I would be at the place where I am right now. You know, hmm. like I didn't think that I would be, you know, in my own apartment looking like I'm I'm at my little workstation right now and every time I look up, I see my diploma. Now I only have one diploma, but technically speaking, I double majored. Right. You know, I double majored in in history education and I and I educate and I uh got a degree in theater. Um, and I look at that every time I look at my, um, every time I look at my diploma, I think about, we don't care. And I think about, you know, you know, what did Kanye go through? Do people call him dumb? Do people think that Kanye West also couldn't, you know, handle his schoolwork and X, Y, and Z? Um, because that's what was said to me, you right, know? Right, And then, and so listening to that song, like going to school and knowing that I had teachers that were, you know, standing against me and I had teachers that, uh, you know, really fully supported me, um, that made me... Um, that just that just like lit a fire under my butt every time I went to school. Um, you know, there was a um, there's a there's a, a, a lyric. Um, there's a verse that Kanye has, um, where I and I would like to say and I would like to say it if I could find it. It's about because um, I want to make sure I get it right. What is it about? Which uh... It's the one where he's talking about the teacher. Uh, you, you know, he's like, hold up, hold fast. We make more cash. Now tell my mama I belong in that slow class. Yeah, that's um, exactly it. You know, and it's like, and I, um, and that's what, uh, and that, and that kind of like lit a fire in my butt because I remember like going to meetings and people telling my mom that like, like, oh, your son should probably learn to retread tires. Your son, your son will never go to college. You know, like these were the things that were said to me. And yet here's Kanye West being like, you know, giving me the line that I needed to kind of like say back to them. Like as soon as I got my diploma. (laughs) I mean, and also inspiring you to get out there and work hard. I mean, I know he talks about, you know, drug dealing as, uh, you know, looking up to the dope man. Um, But he also, like, some of these lines are are crazy. He says, you know, this dope money here is little Trey's scholarship because ain't no tuition for having no ambition and ain't no loans for sitting your ass at home. home. We forced right, to sell like, crack rap and get a job. And get a job. <laughs> right? Like, you've got to do something, man. Your ass has grown. Like, mm-hmm, it's, it's mm-hmm. really, it's inspiring in some ways. And I didn't have some of those personal experiences that you had. But I certainly was like, 
man, Kanye West just told me to get my fucking ass up because ain't no tuition for having no ambition. Like, mm-hmm. you got to have something. You got to do something. And, uh, you know, he talks about that next verse, right? Like, working nine to five uh, and and trying to make, uh, claiming other people's kids on your income tax. Like, the, the, <laughs> they're so practical and yet mm-hmm. so, uh, I don't know, like, ethereal. Like, it's, it's something that everybody kind of thinks about. Yeah. Um, if you grow up. You know, in a a certain way, worrying about your finances, worrying about maybe not, you know, to the extent that that Kanye did or or Mm -hmm. that, you know, many people in America do. Mm -hmm. But it just kind of makes you think like, oh, we we do have to look after ourselves and we do have to look after our fellow man and and lift people up when we can. And I will also say that it's still incredibly relevant. The line I always think of from this song is um, the one, like, right at the beginning uh, in the chorus. Um, we wasn't supposed to make it past 25. Joke's on you, we still alive. <laughs> right? Like, yep. I mean, yep. you've talked about being a black man in America today, putting your hands up, you know? Mm-hmm. It It's still true. It's still true. We're still dealing oh, with yeah. that. Um, like Kanye said in, in another song that I'm sure we'll talk about, racism still alive. They just be concealing it, you know? Yeah. It's exact. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's there and early days, Kanye, 2006 Kanye. There's a reason why the man has gotten to the level that he is right now. There's a reason why he's arrogant. It's because mm. if you listen to College Dropout and you listen, especially to this first track, you know, you, you're like, oh, I get it. You are good. Yeah. You are something, especially in 2006. I mean, like, there's no Kendrick Lamar out just like that's as hot as he is right now. There's no Luke no. Fiasco out right now. There's Jay-Z. You got Lil Wayne at the time. Um, but really, Kanye was so different that he kicked the door in um, for, like, everybody else that came after him. You wouldn't have Kendrick Lamar right now no. if, you, if people didn't give Kanye a chance. And I know there's probably some people who are like, Mark, watch what you say. But, <laughs> listen, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm a rap historian by any stretch of the imagination. No. But I, I can just speak to, like, my own personal experience and what I've noticed. And what I've noticed is I didn't hear about Kendrick till I till way after Kanye had kind of like died down as far as making music pretty regularly. Yeah. I mean, that's and, all I'm saying. Well, and I hadn't heard about Kendrick. I mean, really in mainstream media, I had heard a song here and there until we got Kanye's first solo tour in five years when he dropped Yeezus and invited mm-hmm. Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, I'm not saying that he deserves everything. He would have found his way. <laughs> He's incredible. Right. Um, nobody's, yeah. you know, denying that. I'm just saying that uh, I think you're right. I mean, I think those roots, yeah, in like the listeners, you got to go listen to this song. Um, I mean, listen to in the entirety of College Dropout. But it is really Mm. entrenched in that um, like old 90s feel of hip hop, too, with like the gospel choir. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's written into the lyrics, right? He's like, "Kids sing, kids sing," <laughs> and there is like, there's like like a child's chorus that he has sampled, um, yep. which is just incredible to me. And I, I think it speaks to what we need 
more now, today. Because mm-hmm. people still don't care. Nah. And so we don't care about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm excited to jump into, uh, hopefully next week, we can talk a little bit about uh, my favorite song on College Dropout. It's tied, I think, with We Don't Care, but all falls down. I mean, oh, man, man, the fact that that started out as a freestyle still blows my friggin' mind. <laughs> you can see him. Have you seen it on? You should go YouTube, um, All Falls Down Freestyle. He is uh-huh. literally, like, in his pink polo. Doing it in front of like it's like a slam poetry night, yeah. And homeboy whips it out, and I'm like, Kanye, you had no idea <laughs> who you were gonna be, yeah. And that's why I'm trying to make Kanye 2006 again. <laughs> that's that's really just the campaign at this. I point. swear, we need to make that a shirt. It's it's gonna be a t-shirt. It's gonna be. A it's probably gonna be like. You, me, and like a couple of other people, probably like the the cast of uh, uh, Book of Yay. (laughs) Like, like, yo, this t shirt is lit. (laughs) Yeah, I wear the shirt. (laughs) Oh man, yeah, yeah. But uh, audience, please let us know uh, what you all think of um, of you know we don't care and uh, of Kanye West. Early days, Kanye West. Let's talk, let's not talk about Yay. Let's talk, talk about Yeezus. I'm talking about Pink Polo, Kanye West, right now. Mm-hmm. Let's have let's let's celebrate Kanye West. Let's talk about early days before you could even begin to say like, oh, he's so arrogant. I don't like his music. You know, you were also rocking the Jesus walks and uh, Kanye's new workout plan. Don't even try to pretend you weren't. Do not even front. Do not even try to play. You know you were like cranking mama in the shower as you wept. And like roses. Don't even get me started. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get oh, there. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, man. Uh, well, audience, uh, we are going to take a short break. Um, and let you guys hear a promo of a, of a podcast that maybe you haven't gotten a chance to uh, really experience yet. Um, but hopefully, after you listen to this show, you can go ahead and give them a shot. And when we come back, we will have our next guest on Inside the Everyday Artist Studio. Mm. Stay tuned. You know, I mean, usually whenever people start talking about doing a, you know, remake of Lord I mean, of look, Rings, here's like, the point that I'm trying to make here, okay? Yeah. Barb This is what I don't understand. I mean, how I mean, could I don't they have how you made a movie this bad? I mean, I know who greenlit this? Who said that this was okay? Look at the adaptation that came before. Yes, there's been many, but I'm talking Come get belligerent on Popcorn Prattle Film Talk Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. You'll be glad you did. This week on Inside the Everyday Artists Studio, we have with us special guest Bill Budendorf. Bill is currently a professor at the University of the Arts, where he has taught viewpoints, acting, and various other courses, such as Superheroes as Modern Mythology, for the past 13 years. 
Bill is an incredible teaching artist. He's a dedicated actor, director, and singer-songwriter. He's performed off-Broadway, directed productions varying from Michael John Lacusa to Susan Laurie Parks, and has released two self-produced albums of original music and is personally one of the best friends I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you so much, Mitchell. That's a very kind introduction, <laughs> my sweet friend. Yes, of course. Um, I'm so glad to have you on the show today, and I want to dive into uh, a bit of a personal quandary that we've kind of been talking about for a while now, and I know for a fact that you've struggled with this question, and I think our listeners would benefit from hearing us discuss this. Um, as an artist, I feel the push towards commercial success as being the pinnacle, right? Broadway, Netflix, Hollywood, and if you're not there, you're not anything. And for me, creating this show was all about disrupting the idea that success for an artist is linear, that it has to be uh, one thing following a set path, or it has to adhere to some formula for fulfillment. Um, and now that's a very personal step for me. I wanted to create my own work, so I found a friend and we talked it out and I, I began creating this podcast. Um, but that's a hard thing for someone who considers themselves a theater artist to do sometimes. Um, theater is all about collaboration. It's founded on the idea that no one person has the best ideas, but if we all try and band together, we can you know, make the best idea in the room work. So I guess what I'm trying to find out is, what do you think the main difference be is between working on a project by yourself, solo, and working collaboratively? And what are the pros and cons of each? And what are the projects you've worked on that have given you the most fulfillment that fall into each of those categories? I know that's a lot to handle right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> but I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this. Um, well, I guess I would start off by saying that uh, we're talking specifically about theater and to me one of the things I try to teach uh, regardless of what subject I'm teaching mm -hmm. when it comes to theater um, is that it's important to have a process of your own okay as an actor so that especially as an actor because when you're working on productions you just don't know what that process is will be with the director if there will even be a process mm. and I think the only thing an actor really has is their own process um, for creating work uh, for creating a character for contributing to the story so that creating a process and developing a process for yourself that includes a personal goal as to why you as an artist are doing this production whether it's ideally like a meaningful connection to the themes and subject matter or whether it's because I get to do a Scottish accent and I've never done that mm. before or mm -hmm. I get to you know do a certain amount of fight choreography that pushes me further along in that fight choreography you know journey that I'm on whatever it might be but to recognize those things that regardless of the chaos that might ensue throughout yeah. the production um, you have that to hold on to and so when the play is done you get to say, like, I accomplished this for myself. And that doesn't mean that you're not still contributing to the bigger picture of the of the process that the director hopefully is um, utilizing in the pro process of the play. But mm -hmm. So I think that that is incredibly important um, 
just to s- say that whether you're working by yourself or not. Hmm. I was going to say it's an interesting perspective to say that you know you are on your own journey parallel to others journeys simultaneously as right. they happen in the theater which is kind of the magic of live theater mm-hmm. that you all do contribute but the fact that you have the perspective to say i'm going to add my specific journey into the others to create something even more multifaceted and incredible is is really um, mature I think I'm curious to what you think of this, Marcus, but I feel like sometimes people think of theater as such a separate type of career, Mm -hmm. such a unique, separate type of job even. And when it comes to anyone who's in any other career, they're going to think about their personal goals Mm. in whatever career they're in. So why would that be any different in the theater? And in some ways it might be deeper in some ways not. You know, if you're a, a social worker, there's a lot of jobs that you have to think about. Why am I doing this? Like, mm-hmm. as you face the challenges that whatever career choice you've made, like, come up against uh, what you're working towards. So, I think that that's just one way to have a sustainable career mm. in the theater. So, I guess that's what, sort of the foundation of everything I would say after this, answering your three questions. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I guess I I could just sort of dive in with, uh, sort of the, some of the pros of working collaborative, collaboratively in the theater. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. I mean, Um, kick it off. All right. Um, I mean, I think first off theater is dependent upon the creativity of others, which is lovely if the director or the leader is you know, on point, Mm -hmm. um, amazing things can happen as I'm sure we've all had those great, incredible experiences. Um, and when those things, when you're in the perfect environment for everyone to work at their like highest level of creativity, it really is a remarkable experience. And that I think is why I, I'm a director because mm-hmm. I work really hard to facilitate that. And it it's such a great feeling. Um, when you work on a show as the director, is there a specific attention to make sure that each actor, like you said, has an individual journey that they're going on as well as a collaborative one? Or is that part of the casting process maybe? that That's part of... That's me as a teacher. And when I'm directing, oh. I don't really talk about... I might maybe talk about, you know, what's think about your personal connection to this. I don't really talk about it too much. It kind of inevitably will come up if we're talking about themes of the play. Sure. But Mm I, as a director, I don't really feel, I feel that actors should ideally be treated as independent artists. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I directing at universities, that's different. Like sometimes I will work that in and encourage that, but I don't okay. get too deep into that because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of, for me as a director, I keep that sort of separate. Like that's your personal thing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I want to serve the story, you know? So I want to talk about your approach with the character. I want you to, ha- I might say, I need you, maybe if you strengthen your personal connection to this character, it might help you in this moment, but I'm not really going to get too into like how to do that or what that is. Right. Right. Sure. Right. Right. I mean, and 
splitting up the teacher versus director mindset Mm -hmm. and saying when you're a teacher and i'm sure marcus you have done this in a different level Mm -hmm. um with high schoolers being able to say i know that you're going through x right now right but we need to connect that to the piece Mm -hmm. and and not Mm -hmm. in an unhealthy way in a way that inspires you to dig deeper to look farther um to understand the mindset like you were saying bill Mm -hmm. so that when you do say hey what's the character's motivation right They've got it on tap. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes um, it can be even harder, you know, for when when you are a teacher. And I think it's I think it's the same. Whereas you know, if you're in high school or if you're in the college level, um, because what you are asking a student to do is to pay attention to their own lives and not just you know not so much use it as something as therapy. But saying, like, you already have the necessary tools in order to play this part. What I'm asking you to do now is to tap into your own life experience, turn it into a tool, and then perform to the best of your abilities. And I think, and I know for myself, you know, when I was in college, that was like a big light bulb that went off in my head as far as saying, Mm. like, oh, wow, like, I am, all I'm doing on stage is... You know, yes, I'm I'm researching this character. Yes, I'm I'm developing something. But a lot of it, a lot of the things that I'm doing right now are just things that I naturally do in life. And so, you know, as a director, you know, like Bill said, you, you don't want to tell the kid um, <laughs> what to do uh, right. because that's that's their job. And if they want to do this as a career, that's something that they're going to have to figure out. Um, but it's it's finding that way of how do you turn that light bulb on for that kid? Um, and I feel like that's why, you, you know, you have theater students who make it because I feel like they get it. They get that, that light bulb comes on in their head and then they, they're acting, you know, usually from, I would say like sophomore into their junior year, all of a sudden their acting becomes so much stronger because they do get it. Um, and then you have, kids that do fall by the wayside unfortunately and they try their hardest but it's like you're you're trying too hard at trying to do something that you already do every day Mm. i'm just asking you to pay attention to it yeah yes and and i think too people sometimes confuse like personal connection with personal experience because Mm. as a director i rarely do plays that i have the experience that I have a rela- that I have an experiential relationship with, like, and I'll use Susan Laurie Parks and the Blair as an example. Like, I have none of the experience of those characters at all, mm-hmm. right? Right, mm-hmm. and most of everyone in the cast, pretty much, when I did it at UArts, I don't think any of them had those experiences either. Mm-hmm. And so, a personal connection can also be: why does it matter to you? Like, not how do you relate to these experiences and how do you substitute or anything like that? But why does this matter? Mm-hmm. And that right. motivation can be enough just that you care enough about the subject matter and about the issues that this play is addressing, right? That, that can deepen your performance and motivate you to be 
as true to that story as you can be. Mm-hmm. Which is the main question that a lot of theater artists have to ask themselves before we jump into a project, which is, why this story now? Mm-hmm. And how does it relate to me, and why do I want to tell it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that lines up with then you as the actor, or if you're the director, you have the larger vision. How do I fit in others' visions into it? Or how mm-hmm. do I give my castmates room to spread their wings and connect in their own individual ways mm-hmm. and how does that make us all stronger right and one of the examples i have of like what how i had such a positive experience with this sort of heightened collaborative everyone at their highest level of creativity is within the blood with mm. uh there's a, a strong theme of religion you know the five adult characters sort of represent these elements uh the five fingers of this big hand coming down on on this particular character and on people in our culture and Mm -hmm. so there's this reverend d character and he's horrible he's a horrible manipulative abusive character and Mm -hmm. he's uh a reverend um sort of (laughs) climbs the ladder to be like this the reverend of this by the end of the play he's entering into like this popular a place um and and personally i you know have strong feelings about organized religion and i was actually a little mm-hmm. nervous about my personal feelings coming into how that character is uh illuminated and and so in early an early part of the rehearsal process with some of the collaborative work we were doing before we began like the traditional blocking um rehearsals the actress playing the lead character came out with this nighttime ritual of praying with her five children and it blew my mind because I never would have thought she would pray because she has this character who's the father of her youngest child who treats her terribly throughout Mm -hmm. the course of the play and and that's an example so so that of course came into the production and it just balanced it gave so much more depth to the concept of faith Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the concept of organized religion. And it, it, those two things were like vibrating together on that stage. And the fact that this character was able to hold on to her faith, even though she was being abused by her, her faith leader, like it just added so much dimension to the piece that I could have never in a million years thought of that. I just wouldn't have thought of it. I would have Mm -hmm. been like, well, she wouldn't pray. And until I saw her do it, and I was like, of course she would. Like, that makes her so much more full of a character. It just So that's one example of when you provide the atmosphere for actors to just try things and be as creative as they possibly can be mm-hmm. and feel free mm-hmm. to make mistakes and to try things that may or may not work. That's the kind of stuff that can happen. Yeah. It's it gives awesome. space mm-hmm. and another layer to be added onto of... Now I know that that can exist in that world. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's awesome that you said you would never have thought of that. Because how many missed opportunities are there? Or how many different variations of a show are there? Depending on 
who you cast and when it's being produced. Yes. I was just about to say, Mitchell, I think I think you hit it right on the head. I don't think it's so much as, as far as missed opportunities, but you really do see these different variations of the same story. And I and I talk to my tech students mm. all the time. I'm like, this is that's the beauty of theater. You know? That's why that's why I feel like, you know, we, we do what we do is because it is so fascinating. Two plus two doesn't always have to equal four. Um, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and no one can tell you unless you are doing something completely out of left field, no one can ever tell you that you're wrong as long as you can justify it with the text. You know, if it's, if it can be supported by the text, you can make whatever stories you want. I mean, that's why we had a uh, Midsummer Night's Dream in a circus. Um, and that was, you know, that was such a fascinating production. And then ever since then, you know, you have more and more productions of whether it's Shakespeare or something more contemporary or anything. Um, you're able to just tell your, your version of this story and it's fine, you know, and people will enjoy it or they will hate it or they'll at least have some sort of discussion about it. And it's important as educators to, reinforce those those true like ancient ideals and ideas that come with doing theater and I was really lucky because first of all I worked with Tina Landau who's probably like one of the most brilliant directors to provide that atmosphere of mm. democracy and 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 getting everybody to that highest level of creativity. And I worked with her as a freshman in college and I worked with her as a sophomore. And then I did two shows with her off Broadway my junior year and senior year during the summer. So like I was super lucky. And when I, when I did uh, Orestes with her with On Guard Arts off Broadway, Chuck Mee, it was Chuck Mee's Orestes and he came and talked to us on the first rehearsal. And he said to us, you are going to create your own world for this play Mm. and this play will exist in this world with you and it will never exist like this again. Mm -hmm. And he just sort of handed the play over to us in such an eloquent way. And I'm paraphrasing and I'm sure he said it much more beautifully than I'm saying it (laughs) now. And it was sort of a thing that I was learning from Tina, but then to hear it from him, from a playwright and, those were like the pillars, the foundation of what I built my directing uh, ethics, I'll even call it, because I won't even call it a style, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's how I built that. And like, if I hadn't heard those things and, and experienced the process that Tina Landau executed, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I might have found my way, but it would have been a lot harder. It would have been a lot different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I think it's interesting to hear from such pillars of the community. I mean, Tina Landau seriously is such a big name now. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like hearing you talk about this previous experience so many years ago is just really eye opening about how we can change people's minds one at a time that then go on to teach many kids that Mm. shapes a culture that slowly changes Mm -hmm. our perception of what success needs to be to draw it back to the beginning of what we were talking about that kind of collaborative democratic process can lead us to new heights and, and new levels of creativity. We just have to nurture it. We do. And I think in my heart, I had directed prior to college and I 
was very ambitious prior to college and I had two years off before I went to university. But when I met her, she was just out of grad school and she was just creating the viewpoints technique with Ann Bogart mm-hmm. and nobody really knew what it was. And she, the first rehearsal we had with the first show I did with her was just an outline of a new musical called States of Independence with composer Ricky and Gordon. And it was, she was using uh, viewpoints to write the script with us and also to stage parts of the show that had text and didn't have text and and there was so much discipline involved and that's mm-hmm. where i think opening up a process that's very democratic in the theater can get very tangential and you can start to feel like we're not getting anything done and mm. and that's where my fears were and trying to have a process like that and with working with her i i learned so much about how to do that with discipline mm. and with efficiency and you know my capricorn brain was like loving every second (laughs) (laughs) so um but i still am terrified before every show i direct uh, we start rehearsal and i have set out a certain amount of time to work physically on the play and sketch things out um and it delays the blocking the traditional blocking sort of rehearsal process is delayed until we've done all that work and Mm -hmm. every time i'm like uh am i crazy like I should just start blocking right away. And, you know, here I am, like, that was so long ago that I worked with her. um, And I still, and I've done so many shows with this process, but I still have that terror. And every time we start blocking after having done that work, and it just all starts to fall into place. And I'm just like, Mm -hmm. oh, thank God. Mm -hmm. But it's still terrifying to not do that, to not pre-block and to not have a backup plan or any of these things. I don't do any of that. You know, I just work really hard at, getting us to where I think we need to be and sketching things out and working through the play physically without the blocking stuff. And it's, it always works. So, but it's still scary. Well, and theater is scary because there's so many people involved. Yes. And I know we've been talking about the pros, but I want to hear a little bit about the cons of working collaboratively just for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's important to talk about them because that's what leads to, you know, this idea that I have about having a creative outlet, especially as an actor, but as any Mm. theater artist, having a creative outlet that isn't dependent upon anyone else but yourself. Mm. And that can mean a lot of different things. And the reason I think it's important is because of the cons. And um, I think I'll speak from my personal experience as a director. Of course. And, and I was an actor and I haven't acted in a long time, but I did a lot of acting. So I have my perspective from an actor's point of view as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it takes a lot of energy to maintain a beautiful, warm, loving room. Mm-hmm. And the last show I directed had 14 actors and they were on stage the entire show and they were at every rehearsal. And it was Sonnets for an Old Century by Jose Rivera. It was a, it's a monologue play. We sort of had to create the plot, um, where they were, what was going on. There was a lot of creative work to do. And the pieces are very personal. They're very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're playing a character that for 95% of the show is silent listening. And that's very difficult. 
And then you mm. speak once in the play. I was going to say, and just as I've said in previous shows, as an educator, you have to have the energy of the amount of people in the room mm. that you are teaching. Mm. You have to do the same thing as a director. But in a show where everybody only speaks once, it's probably really easy to disengage as an actor. So to make sure that this is a viable room in which they feel like they can speak up and say, I think it should look like this, or I think it should look... Or what if he moved here? Or what if I supported him through this? That must have been incredibly difficult through how many rehearsals did you guys have over how long? Right. Dear Lord. I mean, and the truth is, is like I want them to be able to just do what their impulse is telling them to do and not, mm-hmm. not even where they have to ask me on a break or like stop and say, can I do this? I just want to see it mm-hmm. and I want you to go with the impulse. That's what rehearsal is. And so, yeah, you have to work to get to, to them, to that place. And then, you know, they're all in different levels of their education. And, mm-hmm. and so it's hard and it's exhausting because you, as a director, you don't want to ever say the wrong thing. And you have to filter and you, everyone has a different need as far as how they need to be spoken to. Mm-hmm. And the minute you say the wrong thing, you're, you could shut somebody down mm-hmm. and not even really intentionally do it. Right. And no matter how nice you are, you're a human being. And so it's easy to just say something and turn to the next thing that you're looking at and not even realize that I just said something that was kind of flippant. Mm to that person and they're sort of sensitive and I should have looked them in the eye and like really thought before I said touched them on the arm and given them a hug afterwards. But I'm sure that's doubly as an educator, because like we were saying earlier, there's a little bit of keeping in the back of your mind. What journey is that actor on? What journey is that person on through your classes and through this show? And you have to keep track of all of those individual situations Mm -hmm. and those different methods of communication and making sure, Oh wait, I didn't do that last time. I didn't touch their arm and look them in the eye. So I need to make sure I do that this time so that they know it's nothing personal. It's about executing the vision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not just college and university and high school level. It's, it's professional level as well because, you know, actors are sensitive. It doesn't matter if they've been acting for 40 years. We are. <laughs> Believe me. I know. So <laughs> you, you have to, and and it's that way with designers. It's that way with everyone. And yeah. so as a director, you... And of course, you don't have to be that way. I mean, I've worked with plenty of directors, and this is why I don't act anymore, that don't care about that. Mm. And mm. they are on a mission, and they are, are trying to execute their vision. And You're a tool. Right. Mm. And, and even in a respectful situation where they are not being empathetic and sensitive and caring so much about how they set the mood of the room. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just difficult. But so when you do all that work, you come home and you're like completely exhausted. You're Mm -hmm. just like, you know, you just, you don't, you have nothing left and you have to recharge for the next day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I will say transitioning into, you know, to talk about solo work, I think what's important and what's viable about the collaborative and and the deadlines and the rehearsal schedule Mm -hmm. is just that the structure yes because even if you are tired you know exactly when it's going to happen and say okay i'm going to go home after rehearsal um and have two hours to decompress then i gotta wake up tomorrow morning and restart it and i don't know about you i'm interested to hear your thoughts but 
working on a solo project is doing all of that by yourself, mm. creating your own deadlines. And that can be freeing in some ways, but it can also be really challenging. Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on what that project is. I mean... Very you, true. Yeah, if you're lucky enough to be a performing artist who also can paint, mm -hmm. where the deadline, you know, isn't maybe that important. And yeah, you just do it for fun. Right, and I'm not, I have no visual art skills, so I can't even speak to that. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I suck at drawing. <laughs> but, my, you know, my sort of... Uh, independent creative outlet is songwriting and recording music and mm. there is a collaborative element to that but and I've written songs with other people and I've written songs by myself and writing a song by yourself is very rewarding and it doesn't require anyone else and it's it feels really uh, fulfilling and empowering and whatever it is that, that you can tap into that's going to give you that feeling where you don't need actors to execute your creativity or to help facilitate your creativity or you don't need a director to hire you in order to be be creative, mm -hmm. that's where it's empowering. Mm. Um, and nobody can treat you badly when you're sitting alone in, a, in the room writing a song and make you shut down or make you go on a... like spiral of you know defensiveness or whatever it might be mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. yeah and and that's just been amazing and then reaching out to people and having them record various you know backup vocals or bass guitar or whatever then you're, the whole collaboration is different when you're sort of setting your own goals and it's coming from something you created and it's just a really uh helped me a lot but the challenges are that yeah you don't really have deadlines mm -hmm. you have to set them yourself and there's no looming uh opening night that's going to happen whether you're ready for it or not and i mean when i'm directing a show i'm stage managers are always impressed at how much i'm looking at the clock and how much i already i'm i'm always looking at the clock i, I need to keep myself paced and yes mm, continuing exactly and when you're writing a song, you don't really do that. I mean, the projects I've released, I've created schedules and and inevitably they're always <laughs> pushed back and they take longer than I thought. Mm. But, you know, you set that goal and then you push it back and then you try to reach the second goal and you just keep going and eventually you finish it. Yeah, and hopefully <laughs> it's worth the wait. Yeah. I'm curious, do you engage different parts of your mind for different parts of your solo work? Like, do you engage your, I mean, I know it's not the theater terms, like you don't engage your actor brain versus your director brain, but do you engage maybe your like lyrical brain and then your producer brain of like, I need to hit that deadline and then like go into the musical uh, or there's a lot of crossover and you, you will both appreciate the, this, the, well, first of all, it always, Writing a song always starts, lyrically always starts with an idea that I want, mm -hmm. something that I, I need to say, you know, or I want to say, um, especially with lyrics. Sometimes a song can come from just something, a riff or a chord progression or whatever. But the first album that I wrote, I had been work, playing with a band for years and wrote music with them and mostly collaboratively where I would write the lyrics and my guitar, my guitarist friend would write um the music and we'd work together and that was awesome. And I learned so much about songwriting and, um, that was great. But when I started writing on my own and the first solo album I wrote, the first album I wrote by myself was actually based on 
the Batman story arc. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes, of No Man's Land, which is my all-time favorite um, story arc in the Oh, Batman hell universe. yeah. Right? I'm, right? I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous. And, mm-hmm. and I read all the crossover single issues, and then I, I got the novelization, and I just couldn't let go of that story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the first album I wrote, every song is from the perspective of a different character in that universe oh wow that storyline yeah so i love you bill (laughs) i I love you so much (laughs) Uh, and never is uh, there's one song called tim which is based on tim drake but never Mm -hmm. there's no other names mentioned there's no other um but i'd be curious if you guys know the storyline of no man's land if you listen to the album if you'd be able to match the character with the song but that's mm. ten, that's a whole nother thing but i'm doing it tonight what are you talking about <laughs> so yes i mean that's that accessed all of my theater i don't know that you can separate you know like that excess character that excess story that the, the progression of how i wrote it was very much like a progressive sort of yes character driven right and plot driven to a sense like it ends with um barbara singing about her father and after Mm. you know the the death of his wife and just it ends with these bells and new year's eve like Mm. Mm. i mean or new year's day new year's eve the whole all of it like it Mm -hmm. so yeah that whole and that was the kind of thing where i it was hard to tap into my own personal stuff Mm. so i I did through that storyline and I listened to those songs and I, it's not, there's nowhere in any of the notes about the album. Does it say this is about, you know, Batman, no man's land. It doesn't, it's not necessary information. It's not a musical. It's, but those songs are deeply personal and they're about things that I experienced, but, Mm -hmm. but the bridge to those experiences at the time for me had to come from something else. And then the second album I wrote is very much about, my experiences and that is a whole different ball game and it's hard to perform it was hard to perform those that music even the the joyful stuff just because as an actor you're so connected to material when it's your own and Mm -hmm. it's from experiences that you actually had i was it was hard it was Mm -hmm. hard stuff yeah well and that kind of relates back to what we were saying earlier about separating personal connection to personal experience Mm -hmm. and how in solo work it's kind of a little bit more blended it's not necessarily uh you don't need to keep that kind of professional division up you can kind of let those lines blur and let once i mean for music it's produced you can let people interpret it how they want you don't Mm -hmm. need to say this was based on this period of my life or this Mm -hmm. comic Mm -hmm. book series it was just this is what it is take it how you will yeah um that's really incredible and for those of you listening who want to hear this uh you can find all of it at billbud with two d's dot com or billbud music yes billbud two d's music Dot com. Yeah, that will there's links to uh, SoundCloud and then you can just purchase it on iTunes as well. But gotcha. you can listen to it for free on SoundCloud. Well, <laughs> everybody should purchase it. On I was iTunes about to say, to yeah. Him. Bill, don't lose, don't lose out on that money, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got like a 
tenth of a cent for the streaming on SoundCloud. Or right. <laughs> uh, you can't listen to it on SoundCloud. You can only <laughs> listen to it on iTunes if you purchase it. Hmm. We're just gonna. Um, well, thank that you so part. much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> oh my god. Well, thank you so much. I mean, Marcus, did you have any last questions for Bill before we wrap up? I I did not. I just um, it was just nice to. And I feel like that's kind of like the the gem of this show is um, just to kind of get reassurance, you know, that you're doing the right thing. And just like hearing, you know, just everything that you've been talking about tonight, Bill, um, just makes me feel good as an artist and as an educator Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, okay, like I'm. I'm not the only one who who thinks this way. Like I, I, there's others that are like me. There's and I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not less of an artist because of that. Um, if anything, I'm probably right where I need to be or right where I was always supposed to be. And I and I that fills me with joy. So thank you mm. for that. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. And I enjoy listening to the podcast. And I I think it's crazy how isolated we can feel as. Mm in such a collaborative mm. um, community-based art form. And we can yeah. still feel that way, Marcus, and I understand it because I can feel that way too. Mm-hmm. So um, I appreciate hearing that. Absolutely. You're an inspiration, Bill. Aww. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Well, Mitchell, I don't know about you, man, but I have had a very lovely time um, talking with you tonight. Um hearing from bill and just and and again just uh it, this this podcast man looks like every time i every time we're on it um is just a little bit more uplifting um yeah. and just encouraging to people and i hope and i hope listeners i hope that you you feel encouraged um when you listen to this show just because um there's a lot of negativity out in the world there is um and, and and sometimes it, it feels like there's too much, but um, hopefully this show can kind of be that that just that little light in your week to just say like you know what, let me crush two hours with not so famous with Mitchell and Marcus, um, and get a little joy back in my life. Seriously, even if as we you know take a look at some of the negative things that are happening, hopefully you know we're inspiring in a way and then drawing. Uh, you know, some of that light out of those situations and trying to put in a little bit of care and love and, and empathy uh, into those, you know, the, the, the sad things that get us down from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I learn something new every time we tune into this show. I'm like, oh, I've got my notes. I know what I'm going to talk about. I know what's going to happen. I know what we're going to do. And every time I'm just surprised by the insight from you, Marcus, and from our special guest. I mean, thank you again. Shout out to Bill. Um, he's just been such a great guest. And I think this interview yes. was just so good and so rich and detailed and he offered a lot of great advice and mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. excited to, you know, listen to his, uh, his albums again. You know, it's, it's been a while. I'm excited to dig deep into them. And now that I know a little bit extra, yeah, um, yeah. I'm excited to, to log back on onto billbudmusic.com and, and <laughs> get listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go out and buy it guys. Yeah. Do it Support. on iTunes. <laughs> Support your local artist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and even if you're not local, 
still buy it. Still <laughs> buy it. Um, and of course, yeah, again, that was Bill Bud with two D's music.com. And, uh, you can find me on Facebook at, uh, Mitchell Hansen or on Twitter at the original MDH. Um, and Marcus, I know people can find you on popcorn prattle, yeah, your yeah. other film talk podcast. And where else my man? Uh, you guys can also find me on, uh, my Twitter at Mark, M-A-R-C underscore Leroy, L-A-R-O-Y. Um, and uh, coming up probably in the next uh, couple of months, you guys will also be able to hear me. I am uh, the star. I just got, I was I was finally given permission to promote it um, so people will <laughs> tune in. Um, but I am one of the stars of a new audio drama called Continuum Force. It is a sci-fi space opera, um, kind of a la Star Trek. And I have got to say, Mitchell, I'm so excited for this, dude. Dude, I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. Thank you. I've never done sci-fi. Like, I've done, like, whenever I do my uh, my voice acting stuff, it's always fantasy. Mm. Um, or, like, you know, just, like, or modern. Uh, but for something like this where it's, uh, you know, it's, it's science fiction, um, I'm just excited. Also to be a captain. Yeah, you know, You've got, right? I mean, this is something that you wouldn't necessarily like. It's hard to make it on TV, in, right? In some of those, like, you know, it's impossible, like, to think like I'll be on a Star Trek episode one day. <laughs> That's tough. But the fact that you landed this and you can, you know, kill it in an audio drama and you get yeah. to engage that side of your brain and and that side of your talent, I can't mm-hmm. wait to hear what you're gonna do. Oh man, thanks, man. Of course. Um, but yeah, we will. I'll definitely kind of keep you guys posted on Continuum Force, and uh, you know we'll drop a link in there and whatnot, and it'll be all good. Yeah. Mm. Um, as I'm still like working on the audio drama with with your mom. Oh my gosh! Like, she's always asking me. She's like, she's like, when do I get to play a saucy uh, brothel madam? And I'm like, eventually. <laughs> I'm like, I'm very busy. We just closed a play. Just hold Maybe. your horses, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you will be the sauciest of brothel madams. No, <laughs> she will. Uh, that's okay. I'll see her for Thanksgiving. I'll calm her down. She's just excited. You know how she is. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> and listeners, you know how she is. I mean, she's exactly. she's a, what did I call her? A force of nature? I believe so. She is certainly that. And if you haven't if you haven't heard it, it's probably because you haven't listened to our back catalog of episodes. So what are you waiting for? I know you enjoyed this episode. Go listen to episodes one and two. What are you doing? I can't believe we're on episode three already. He's growing up so fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness gracious. This is great, man. This is another good episode. Yeah. I was, I was just about to say that is a Yes, absolutely. I think that we can take it.